0: Alright, so Ephesians 5 is where we are tonight. And uh, just as a quick, one little recap of of one thing in chapter 4, because there was so much. Chapter 4 is just, what do you say, chock full of stuff? Man, there's so much in there. We could spend um, a lot more time there than we did, but thank God we were able to hit those high spots. One thing that was said there, though, I think the main point is that we are told to put off our old self. Amen? Who does the putting off? We do. We have something to do. Right? We don't sit and wait for God to fix us. Take these habits away. I'm just sitting here waiting until my life gets better. No, we are to put... Put things off. We have an old nature that's now gone, but that nature, while we had that old nature, there were some things that were imparted to our our thinking and our flesh. Some habits were established. Amen? Some, some wrong thinking was established when we were living with that old nature. And just because we get a new nature doesn't mean we forget about all those old habits that were imparted And taught to us before we got saved. So we got to take those things, recognize them, and this word said in chapter four, put them off. Put them off. And then we had to put on some new stuff. How many of you know when you take something away, you got to put something in the place of it? Right? So if we're going to take off the old man, we can't just leave a void right there. We got to put something else in its place. And it says, put on the new put on your new self your new man and that's what Paul's teaching us about in these three chapters is what is it that we got to put on what 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 are we trying to put on here so that we can be uh, effective children in the kingdom of light because that's where we live right we don't want to just stay in the darkness amen and so the very first thing that he says in chapter 5, the very first phrase, it says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Let me read the whole thing. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. That's verse 1. So when we put on our new nature, if you don't know what that's supposed to look like, to put on your new self, I don't really know. If you don't know Look in this word, because it says we're to be imitators of God. So find out what God looks like and imitate Him. Amen. Amen. That's what we do. We are, actually, you know, we are His children. He's our Father. Do y'all know that little kids they try to be like their mom and their dad? Jordan, you know, when you were little, you tried to be just like your dad, right? Still do. Still do. See there. As little children, you look up to someone like your mom, your dad, and you try to be just like them. This is what this verse says is here's God, he's your example. Try to be just like him. Not try, be just like him. Be like him, imitate him. Same as Jordan does with his dad. Amen. Alright, so verse two says and live how many of your versions says live right there? How many of it says walk? NIV says live a life of love, but the real word right there is walk. And we've been talking about walking for a little while, right? Remember back in chapter uh, 3, I think it was, walk worthy? Walk worthy of the calling, y'all remember that? And there was this whole, we talked for a long time about what it means to walk worthy. Here he's saying to walk A life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So again, there it is with the walking. And this time he's talking about walking in love. We're going to talk a little more about that in a few minutes. But if we're going to be imitators of God, here's the very first thing. The first thing he says after he says imitate God is to love. Love is the key to imitating the Father. Amen? And we're going to have to love like He loves. And that little phrase, I love that, the fragrant offering and sacrifice, it's a reference to the Old Testament sacrifice, when they would bring fragrant incense and offerings. It's just another example in Paul's writing how Jesus has fulfilled the old. Jesus has fulfilled. He now is that fragrant sacrifice. Jesus became that fragrant sacrifice that was mentioned in the Old Covenant. Amen. So let's look at verse 3 and 4 together. Verse 3, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed or because these are improper for God's holy people, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. I know different versions have different words. Let's talk about a few of those here in a minute. But I love this in the NIV in particular. It says, not even a hint. I love that. Not even one hint of these behaviors. You know you can't go teasing around with sin, right? Just, I'm just going to put a little finger in. Just, just a little hint of one of these would be alright, right? No, it says not even, not even a hint of these types of behaviors. And let's just run through them real quick. Sexual immorality which in some of yours says fornication, right? That is any. Y'all say any, any. Any other sexual activity outside of a husband and wife relationship. Any other. Well, but what about... No, any other. Any other outside of that is sexual immorality. Amen? Amen? And then the word impurity. It's uh, in some versions uncleanness. Impurity or uncleanness. That can be physical or moral. That can be your actions or your thought life. Your actions can be impure, but your thought life can be impure. So lust is an impurity. Even though nobody sees you doing it, it's an impurity. Put that off. Amen? Um, the uh, Strong's Concordance, I looked it up, and it says, for impurity, it says, reckless, wild, self-indulgence, and high-rolling. I like the way it says, high-rolling. Impurity is a high-rolling lifestyle. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of a high-roller but there's a lot of impurity, apparently, in a high-rolling lifestyle. Impurity. All right. Uh, the other thing it mentioned was greed. Y'all know what greed is, right? Covetous. Covetous. Covetousness. Coveting. Greed. I want some stuff. And I want it for myself. And if you've got it, I want it. Oh, you got that? I want it. Give it to me. Greed. I want what I don't have and I I want what you've got. A desire for more stuff. A desire for more of anything is greed. Alright, then it says uh, obscenity, that's filthiness. That's described as filthiness. Anything obscene. Y'all know that word, right? Then it said foolish talk. Foolish talk is just silliness. The, the Strong's again says, buffoonery. Have you ever heard the word buffoon? Someone acting like a buffoon? I would never want to be called a buffoon. Right? Foolish talk is acting like a buffoon. It is godless. It is just being dull, like stupid. Foolish talking. It's a, it, it, there was one place that said the word blockhead. You remember how Charlie Brown used to be called a blockhead? Right? Blockhead. Foolish talk. Just What you say just is dumb. It just doesn't make any sense. Just stop. Have you ever been talking to someone and you just go, stop talking? Just stop talking. Stop talking right now. Right? Foolish talk. And then the the last one in those verses is uh, coarse joking. Coarse joking. Vulgar, obscene, trying to take something that's nasty and making it funny. Right? Or trying to take someone's good name and twist it into a joke by making fun of them. Coarse joking hurts someone, right? I I saw it described as bawdy humor. Made me think of like Saturday Night Live crap, you know. And we all know we used to sit up on Saturday night and laugh our heads off, right? A whole bunch of that stuff on there is bawdy humor, right? Coarse joking. Paul says, put that stuff off. Put it off. Both of those verses, verse 3 and 4, they say that any of that type of behavior is improper and out of place. Improper and out of place. Why? If you read the King James Version of those verses, it tells you why right there at the end. It says, because we are saints. We are saints... And the very word saint means holy or set apart. Now, how are you going to be set apart and be partaking in these worldly ways at the same time? You can't, right? You cannot. You're, you're either in one or the other. And the, the word says we are saints, therefore we are set apart from this kind of behavior. But we are not unless we put it off. We have to put it off. Amen. Verse 5. For of this you can be sure. Now Paul, what he meant right there is there's just no way around this. For this you can be sure. No way around it. There's no getting out of it. And then he goes on to, say, to name some more behaviors. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure or a greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. No way around it. No way to overlook it. Here's the bottom line. He's saying, anybody that lives this way will not see the kingdom of God. Now, that's been really misunderstood over the years. Because I've heard people say, you know, a good um, Christian person makes one mistake. And I actually have heard people say, well, you know, I mean, they blew it. Now they won't see the kingdom of God. I mean, I I actually heard someone say one time that you shouldn't, If you have an argument with your husband, you shouldn't slam the door and run out of the house while you're still angry at him. Because if you get hit by a bus and die, you will go to hell. Because you'll die in unforgiveness. Y'all believe that? I had to not believe that when I heard that person say it. I was like, I'm really not believing you're saying this right now. But this verse is one that people use sometimes. There are a few others that say... This and this and this, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. Okay? And um, let me just explain a little bit about it. In Paul's day, there were a group of people called the Gnostics. And they thought that it was just fine to act any way you wanted to outwardly, because inwardly you were sealed. You're sealed with Christ. You are saved and so, doesn't really matter what you do outwardly because your spirit is sealed in pureness. No. Yes, and that's a little different than this, but you're right. We'll talk about that too at the end. Bring that back up again, Earl. So, they thought that you could just... Act any kind of way you wanted, and while it is true, now they weren't wrong about the fact that your spirit is sealed, and you you know you are you are your spirit is pure, and outward sin doesn't affect the the pureness of your spirit, okay. In other places has made it very very clear Jesus made it very very clear that we are not to live in sin now you understand I said live in sin the verse even says people who live in sin are idolaters what's an idolater? a person that has someone other than God in the highest position, right? And so, you can't be a follower of Christ and have Him in the highest position and also be an idolater. Because an idolater has something else in a higher position. Like one of those behaviors that we were just talking about. Those things are in a higher position than Christ. And so the Word calls those people idolaters. You can't be a Christ follower and an idolater at the same time. Now, I want to be real clear. There is a difference between a person who falls into a sinful situation and a person who lives in sin. Y'all understand that, right? The behaviors that Paul is describing in those verses before, they are literal characteristics of an unbeliever. All of those things that we named, they are the the nature of an unbeliever. Okay? They describe that person's very inner being. All right? And Paul's saying that a person who is immoral or impure or greedy by their nature, do not inherit the kingdom of God. You understand what I'm saying? Christian people, people who have been sealed, who are Christ followers, look around, read the news, and look at your neighbors. Christian people do fall into sins. It happens. Someone that is a pastor of a church suddenly falls into some sexual sin. It's a tragedy. People sitting right here in this congregation on a Sunday morning have a Christian, have a, have a, a, a changed nature, but they fall into some sin. It happens. It does happen. Let's look at um, 1 Corinthians 6. Let's go over there for a minute. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. 9 through 11. Let's look at that. So here's another place that you might want to make a note of this. 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9, it says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, or nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, Nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Look at that word, were. That is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God were so it's talking about people who that's their nature that's their lifestyle their lifestyle okay a person that is a christian that falls into some sin that's just a fall into some sin and when they when when the holy spirit convicts them of that and they recognize it cuz that happens too that's part of that recovery process, they don't have to start over and get saved again. Right? Amen? Hallelujah. So, if these behaviors that Paul's talking about in chapter 5 are part of your regular behavior, you are not submitted to Jesus. Because you can't have those as a lifestyle and be submitted to Jesus at the same time. But you can fall into something and yes, it's a tragedy. Yes, it affects your life. Yes, there are consequences for those things. But it's not going to it's not going to snatch you out from the kingdom. It's just going to affect your life in a really terrible way for a little while. Amen. Unless you begin to make that your lifestyle and you give in to that and you submit to that and that becomes your lifestyle. I mean, Alright. Hallelujah. So the point that Paul was trying to make right there is as a believer as a believer separate yourself from these type of behaviors. Put them off. Be set apart. Amen? Amen? All right, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. disobedient. So who are the ones, he's, when he says who are disobedient, who's he talking about? Yeah, unbelievers. The people that live those lifestyles. And it says that God's wrath is reserved for them. Did you know God's wrath is reserved for His enemies? In many places in Scripture, God's wrath is reserved for His enemies. We're going to see that again in the next verse. Verse 7. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, this is Paul. He's giving instruction. He just, t- he just said... Here's some uh, unbelievers, those that are disobedient, don't partner up with them, he just said. Do not be partners with them. Does that mean never associate with an unbeliever? There's a difference in hanging out with somebody and partnering up with them, right? Now, let's just take a look at that. I don't want to say it. If I happen to sin in one of the ways that we've talked about, I'm a Christian, and I happen to sin in one of those ways, does God's wrath come down on me? The wrath of God. Every time I think of the wrath of God, I, I, I see that, uh, what's that movie, The Ark, Austin, where the that big lightning... Yeah, whatever it comes out of the sky, wrath of God, you know. So if if I'm a if I'm a Christian and I sin, does the wrath of God strike me dead? No. All right. So what do we know about the wrath of God? Anybody? What do you know about the wrath of God? It in the Old Testament. It after the church. Exactly. It is reserved for God's enemies. And right now, well, let's just, in the Old Testament, the wrath of God would come down on evil people. The wrath of God would fall on evil. Amen? And like Sodom and Gomorrah, for instance. Right? Lot and his family were the only righteous ones found in this entire city. It was like Sodom and Gomorrah is like Auburn, Opelika. It was this dual city. (laughs) And in the entire thing, Lot and his family were the only righteous ones there. Okay? And we all know that the wrath of God came down and, and they came and the angels came and directed Lot to leave. But even Lot's wife fell victim to the wrath of God because she turned around we are okay. If we were then, just because you were a righteous person, didn't didn't necessarily mean you were uh, you could escape the wrath of God. If you slept with sin, if you buddied up with sin, and that's what she did. When she turned around, she partnered herself with sin. She just partnered herself with sin. Amen. So that was in the Old Testament. But thank God, God's wrath. All of that wrath, that wrath that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, the wrath of God that destroyed the entire uh, earth with a flood, all of that wrath fell on Jesus. Man, not only did Jesus endure all of our sin and everything that He physically had to endure, but the wrath of God fell on Him. Wow. Wow. And if you want to write these verses down just to see, I'm not going to go there, but Romans 5:9, for those who like to look things up. Romans 5:9, 2 Corinthians 5 21, 1 Thessalonians 1 and 10, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 Verse 9, all talk about what we're talking about right here, about God's wrath. New Testament verses to lead you along, okay? So, because of Jesus, everybody say, thank you, Jesus. Because of Jesus, God's wrath does not come directly or intentionally on believers when they sin. Okay? Even knowing that. So now, oh, you know, some people say, thank goodness. God's wrath not going to fall on me. I can, you know, I'm, I'm safe to sin now. Does that give us free, like, okay, good. I'm not going to be hit with a lightning bolt. It's okay if I just dabble in this little sin. Right. Amen. We still want to please God. Amen. The love of God drives us to want to live a holy lifestyle. Amen. However, some Christians fail to remember just like Lot's wife that shacking up with sin comes with consequences shacking up with sin comes with consequences amen you cannot play with fire and not expect to get burned you can't dabble and then when you do get burned you can't go blaming God that's what a lot of people do they dabble in sin then when they get you know some consequence falls on them then they want to blame God God didn't protect me. God didn't this. God didn't that. Amen? God didn't do that to you. He said in His Word, don't be playing around with that kind of stuff. Amen? But thankfully, God will pick you up, turn you around, set your feet on solid ground. Amen? Never leave you, never abandon you, never forsake you. He's always right there. But he's not going to drag you back of his own effort. Hallelujah. Verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live or walk as children of light. How many of yours says walk? There's that walk again. So you are not gradually becoming light. You know, you got saved and then you're gradually becoming light. Children of light. What does this say? You were once dark, now you're light. You are light in Him. In Christ, you are light. The light of the world. How do you think the light is going to shine in this earth? I'm talking about the light of Jesus. Jesus is not going to come back down and shine his light until the end. So how does the light shine? Through us. It says we are light. And so Paul is saying if you are light, then act like light. Act like holiness. Light is holiness. Act like holiness. The holiness that's in you. Verse 9. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Did you ever try to grow some like flower seeds in the dark? I mean, I know there's like some weird ones that grow like in the dark or whatever. But in general, if you want to grow some corn sprouts you got to give them some light, right? They won't grow in a dark, cold closet, right? Seeds need light to grow and to produce. And that is, that's really what Paul's saying right here. Ungodly, unholy behavior puts you in a dark place. Ungodly, unholy behavior that we just talked about puts you in the dark and you can't grow. And you can't produce. And the fruits of the Spirit, this verse says, cannot operate in darkness. So you act in this way, puts you in a dark place, and nothing can produce in your life. Amen? And then verse 10 says, And find out what pleases the Lord. I like the Amplified classic, it says it this way, Try to learn. In your experience, what is pleasing to the Lord, let your life be constant proof of what is most acceptable to Him. Constant proof means somebody can see it. When you prove something, you bring light to someone and they can suddenly see something. So he's saying, let the light shine. Let your life produce something so somebody else can see it. Right? Don't put yourself in the dark in the closet so nobody can see the light in you or what's being produced in you. Let the light in you shine for others to see. You show it with your actions. With your behaviors. Those things that are acceptable to the Lord. Amen. And then verse 11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. But rather expose them. Now, here's a job that we have to do. We got a job right here that he's just given us to do. Let me read that one in the Amplified. It says, Take no part in and have no fellowship with the fruitless deeds and enterprises of darkness, but instead let your life be so in contrast as to expose and reprove and convict them. Now, that verse says a whole lot right there. Notice that it says that we should have nothing to do with the deeds. Not the people. It didn't say don't have anything to do with people that don't act right. It says don't have anything to do with the deeds of darkness. How can we let the light of holiness... That's what it says here, holiness and righteousness. How are we going to let holiness and righteousness shine before believers if we never spend any time with any unbelievers. Now remember, you don't partner up with them. That means you don't act like them. You don't take on their characteristics. But you got to go see them. you got to go meet with them. We have to let the light shine. And we have to remember in Ephesians 4, where it said, Speak the truth in love. We got to get with them so we can speak the truth in love. And that's what this verse is saying is that we've got to let we have to say some things to them. If we're proving out the light in us, we got to say something to them in love. The 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 Pharisees, y'all remember the Pharisees in the gospels? Those people You know, they did bring some light. Some of the things they said was true. They did speak truth. Many times what they said was true. But they didn't say it in love. They didn't present their message from a place of love. They presented their messages from a place of self-serving, self-promoting, holier-than-thou, judgmental platform. Right? And that didn't work. Because there was no love in it. And Jesus called them hypocrites. You hypocrites. Saying all what you're saying when you act the same way. And they were just saying it to make themselves look good. To look smart. To, to be Right? right love is a key again you got to present these truths to your unbelieving friends in love because presenting it any other way is not going to penetrate the darkness amen verse 12 for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret Let's think for just a second. Do you think the best way to bring the devil down is to highlight his greatest accomplishments? <laughs> Many people think that to get people to turn from darkness, they need to point out how dark they are. You know, hellfire, brimstone kind of preaching. And maybe that worked for a season somewhere, so, you know. But pointing out all the darkness in somebody is not really going to overcome the darkness. What overcomes the darkness? Light. Y'all remember those silly... I thought they were silly. When, I, when, when we were like teenagers, they had those hallelujah haunted houses or something. You know, you, you go in one side and there was like... There were some characters, and then as you go along the way, like, all these bad things happened to... It was like a haunted house, but it was supposed to be a Christian haunted house. Maybe something like that. And so the point was to scare you into becoming a Christian. And when you came out on the other side, you had seen and seen all these horrible things, and the devil had been so highlighted in there that you were so scared, you were like, yes, I'll be a Christian It scared people into being Christians. And fear is not light. Fear is not a a witnessing tool. Amen? But it's become commonplace to talk about evil things and to highlight evil things. Even if you mean well, darkness doesn't overcome darkness. Light overcomes darkness. And I'm not saying we don't ever talk about, you know, there has to be discussion. I understand that. But when you're trying to speak to an unbeliever and show them the light of Jesus, guilting them or fearing them is not the way to do it. Amen? And so verse, I think verse 13 and 14 um, tell us how to expose the darkness. Let's read those real quick. Verse 13, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. And this is why it says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. All right? So, to be an effective witness to the world, there's two actions that are necessary. One is to live, what I say, live out loud Live the lifestyle that is opposite of these terrible things, you know. Live a righteous and holy lifestyle. Let your actions reflect the light. And the second thing is to speak out loud. Tell unbelievers that they're lost. They need to know they're lost. Tell them they're lost and show them the light. Tell them how to come out of that darkness. Speak to them. Let your life speak and let your mouth speak. Amen? It takes both of those things to bring light into the darkness. Verse 15. Let's go there. I'll read 15 and 16 together. It says, Be very careful then how you live or walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. So Paul's point right here is we need to be alert, ready all the time, making the most of every moment. We don't let a single moment pass us by. What if you had a moment to change someone's life and you were just like, eh, maybe tomorrow. Lord, what if you told that man... Can you pray for me? And you said, I don't have time. Right? Make the most of every opportunity because we are the only light that some people may ever see or hear. Amen? But I want to focus a minute on that word walk. Or my version says live, but it's the word walk. And we've seen that word now already in Ephesians six times. So it must be important. Paul describing our walk, or our life, our living. Amen? So in Ephesians 2.10, it said, walk in good works. In Ephesians 4.1, it said, walk worthy of the calling you received. Ephesians 4.17 said, walk no longer as the Gentiles do. Ephesians 5.2, we just read, it says, walk in love Ephesians 5.8, we just read that. Walk as children of light. And then this verse, Ephesians 5.15. Some of your versions say, walk circumspectly. Sorry, stumbled that word. It just means with consideration of what you're doing. Intentional. Amen? So that word walk... It's the idea of how you conduct yourself. It's how you conduct yourself. You're supposed to live in a particular manner, right? The way we walk, the way we live our life, is of the utmost importance. It's not something that you can just say, I can live any way I want to. I'm sealed. No, it is of an utmost importance, the way that you walk your life out. Amen? Verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. All right, so Paul's saying the only way we're going to be able to w- walk this way, bringing the light to the lost, is to know God's will. So we want to bring light to our unbelieving friends? We've got to know the will of God. Amen? Amen? His general will is easy to find. It's in here. You can find the will. People say, you know, you just can't know God. He's mysterious. Who knows what He's going to do next? No. His will is right here. It's in here. God's will is that everyone be saved. God's will is that everyone is free from bondage. God's will is that we prosper and be in health. There are verses that say that's God's will. Amen? But His specific will for your life might be a little harder to find because I can't tell it to you. Your neighbor can't tell you what God's will is for your life. He's going to reveal that to you. How? Through the Word... And leading of the Holy Spirit. But you got to know His will to be able to go and bring light to someone else. Otherwise, how are you going to be a spokesperson for someone that you don't know? Right? If, if I ask Earl to come up here and tell us all about UPS, he can do that. Because he's very familiar with UPS. Amen? If I ask Tim to come up here and tell us all about UPS, not so much. Right? you got to know somebody to go and proclaim things about them. So you got to know what God... How are you going to go to somebody? What if, Lord, is this man asked her to pray? Or could you pray for my shoulder? And she didn't know the will of God, and she said, Well, I don't know, I don't know if God wants to heal you or not heal you. That would be a misrepresentation of God because He does want you healed. Amen? We got to know that before we go out and try to be somebody. Right? That's why we come on Wednesday night so we can learn some stuff. Amen? Verse 18. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Hallelujah. Huh. Did I mess it up? That's 19. Do not get drunk on wine. Oh, let's go back here. This is good. (laughs) Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. That's a fun word. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, y'all going to want to hear this. I'm glad we didn't skip that verse. Let's just go ahead and get this whole wine thing out of the way, okay? Y'all want to stay a little late just to hear about wine, don't you? I wish there was a clear verse that said, Don't drink. I mean, I really wish it just said it outright. Uh, God said, Don't drink. I wish it was that simple. Okay? But sadly, there is no such verse. There's not one that says, Don't drink wine. Darn it. Jesus drank wine. He turned water into wine. He even told Timothy, go drink a little wine. It'll help your stomach ache. He said, John the Baptist should not have any wine. Well, you know, there's some people that just don't. <laughs> just stay far away from it. Okay. Culturally, during Jesus' day, there were reasons why they drank more wine than they did water. Okay. Okay. And there's been studies about the wine then was not fermented in the way that it is today, and therefore it wasn't as whatever, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Okay? Pastor Allen and I don't drink any alcohol. None. Zero. Never have our whole marriage. None. We don't drink it at all. (laughs) Here's why. Number one, we don't like it. That's a good reason. Ew. Number two, we have set ourselves apart from the world. Okay? Number three, we don't want to do anything that might cause someone else to stumble. All right? And number four, we have set a standard before our family and our flock. And this is our standard. Okay? Those are our reasons. We don't touch it at all. But if you're trying to find you a scripture that says, drinking is forbidden, keep looking. Because it's not there. Alright? What the scripture does say Is don't be drunk with wine. I really wish I could tell you there was a verse that said don't drink. But I can't do that. It's not there. It says don't get drunk. Does that give you permission? Thank goodness Miss Michelle just said there's no verse that says not to drink. So man, we can just drink. Right up to the point where we don't get drunk. Did y'all hear me say that? No. I just said we set a standard and we're trying to show you. No, okay. all right. But here's what it does say after that. It follows that up with a command. I said a command. Not a suggestion. There's a command in that verse. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not maybe be filled or could you think about... It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's the kind of drunk I'm looking for right there. Right? This phrase is actually a present tense phrase. It should read, be being filled. Be being filled. It's it's commanding a continual, ongoing, repeating action of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you look at Acts 2.4 and Acts 4.31, those two separate times of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, it was the same bunch of people. Amen? There's an initial filling, and then there's an ongoing filling. Be being filled. Alright? And so, the Holy Spirit's control... And His influence over our thinking and over our flesh are a reflection of how well we have renewed our mind to His will. Okay, so how we think and how we act is based on how we have renewed our mind to the will of God. Amen? Well, there you go. I'll read that in context. There you go. John the Baptist. Yes. Make a doctrine. There we go. We just made a doctrine. Put it in the statement of belief. Hallelujah. All right. So... Just like the uh, the drunkenness of wine that causes people to act a certain way, right? When drunk people are drunk, they act like alcohol, right? Because they're full of it. But when we are full of the Spirit, when we have been infilled with the Spirit, it causes us to act like Jesus. Now, I'm after that. I'm not after... That other stuff. Amen? And then verse 19, 20, 21, that's the end, gives us um, some effects of being filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it's very interesting to me right there. It says psalms. Being filled with the Spirit it calls you to sing. And here's what you're supposed to sing. Psalms is poems set to music. Hymns are songs of celebration. And spiritual songs are an exaltation of spiritual truths. Amen? And then the, the other verse, giving thanks... Is the opposite of highlighting our problem. It's highlighting the, the promise, highlighting the good stuff, and a whole bunch of our songs are not about that kind of stuff. We sing some of these songs, radio Christian music, all about the problems in our life, huh? Not we. I don't. No, I don't. I hope y'all. I hope you can recognize some of this Christian music for what it is. Okay. We're supposed to sing psalms. That's poems. That's the psalms to music. And hymns, that's celebratory music. Celebrating God and His goodness. Spiritual songs are exaltations and giving thanks. Highlighting the promises. That's what we're supposed to... When we're filled with the Spirit, that's what's supposed to come out of us. It says, in everything that we do. Giving praise in everything. Not for everything, but in everything. And then that very last that last one says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that word submit, we're going to talk about it next week because there's a big difference in submit and obey. Right? Submit means one thing. Obey means something else. And we're going to figure out what the difference is next week because... Paul's going to tell us all about relationships. How being filled affects our relationships. Husband and wife, parents and their children, and slaves and masters. And don't go, when they say slaves, don't go to, we don't have any slaves anymore. Your boss is your master. It's talking about your employer, employee.